Brothers and sisters, good morning. Today, in our gospel, we have a direct continuation from last week. It picks up right where it left off. Now, you may think that's always how it happens, but it's not. Oftentimes, I get mad about how they skip things. But this time, at least insofar as the story goes, it's picking up right where it left off. What we do have is the story of first, last week, you remember? When Jesus sent out the twelve, he sent them out to go do mighty deeds, to proclaim a gospel of repentance, to cast out demons and to, to heal people and cure people. And then today they come back. And when they meet Jesus after coming back, they are freaking out. Do you know why? Because it worked. Because they were told that they were going to go out with some sort of power and authority. And indeed they did. In other accounts of this gospel story, in Luke, for example, they recount to Jesus and they say, Lord, even the evil spirits are subject to us because of your name. And they see things that are happening differently because of Jesus. Things are one way, and then because of Jesus, they are another way. Things change because of his presence, because of his name, because of the authority that he has on earth. And then, just as we heard in the gospel today, Jesus tells them to come away by themselves to a deserted place. They go there by themselves with the Lord, takes them with him, and people so excited, so moved by the change, beat them to their destination, know where their hideout is, know where it is that they go to pray. And when Jesus sees them, his heart is moved by the show, by the display, and he teaches them many things. Affection moves him to teaching. That's your little gospel summary, huh? So let's talk about why this is important and what's happening. I, I have a question for you, a series of questions, actually. What is Christianity? Why, why is Christianity? What is it for? What does a, a Christian life look like? What makes it distinct from a non-Christian life, for example? I'm asking you these questions, and they're not rhetorical. I, this is not just like, ah, attention getter. Hmm, yes. No, I mean these questions. You don't have to answer them out loud. Perhaps that would not be appropriate. I don't know. But I want you to answer them for yourself. What is Christianity? Why? Why is Christianity at all. What is it for? What marks a Christian life? What makes a Christian life different from a life that's not a Christian life? I imagine that many of you probably have answers to these questions. Probably you were told many things as you were growing up, depending on how long you've been at St. Lawrence and to what degree you've been involved. Maybe you had some of the sisters in the school back in the day and they told you a couple things. Maybe 
parents or grandparents had passed some element of the faith on to you, teachers, hmm? school principals, maybe. Maybe it was neighbors or, or people in religious education, friends. There are a myriad of answers to these questions, which usually means there's a myriad of wrong answers to these questions. As I said, you were probably told a lot of things, but I want to center in on one particular answer that is incorrect and unhelpful and use it as a platform to talk about what is helpful. Christianity is not, Christianity is not, first and foremost, a moral system. Christianity is not, first and foremost, a moral system. Perhaps that's what you were told, or that's how you grew up. Perhaps someone communicated that to you through song with a guitar. I don't know. But Christianity is not, first and foremost, a moral system. This is a very unfortunate, but a very popular error. Maybe it's something you've thought implicitly without stating it that way. But Christianity is not, first and foremost, a moral system. How many times have I said it now? One, two, three. Many times. Not a moral system, first and foremost. This has implications. Hmm? First, you know, there, there are things that people believe about Christianity, that perhaps Christianity involves primarily the avoiding of immorality that we should not be immoral, and that's what Christianity is. We avoid immorality like the plague. We avoid immorality like COVID. We do our best to rid ourselves of it. Ew, gross, and it's contagious. You can pick your favorite vice or your least favorite vice, depending on how you look at it. And oftentimes, we correlate faith with the avoidance of that vice or the condemnation of that vice. And we say, no, that is not okay. Get rid of it. That is unchristian. But Christianity is not first and foremost a moral system. It cannot be reducible to just avoiding immorality. But this cuts in a lot of ways. Christianity is also not only concerned with rules against abusing the marginalized. It may involve that. Perhaps it's a good thing to make sure that we don't abuse marginalized peoples, but Christianity does not just mean don't be mean to people who are sometimes treated unfairly. Again, this is a reduction that doesn't really help us understand Christianity. I grew up a uh, in a, in a public school, uh, my school had 4,000 students in it. I was one Catholic in the midst of a whole bunch of people who were very much not Catholic, and they knew I was Catholic. And so oftentimes I'd get, I'd get pigeonholed. I remember distinctly uh, particular students who would come in and uh, yell some particular part of the faith at me and tell me how wrong I was for it. And one of the things that I heard growing up, you hear it today still, Maybe if you, you talk to the college students at Ball State, you still hear this. They'll say, I know atheists who are more Christian than the people in church. 
I know atheists who are more Christian than the people in church. And at first we want to say, oh, no, no, no. And then we think about it for a minute and say, are they? Oh, no. They might be right. Uh, But hold on, hold on. Think about it even a little bit harder. And there is one simple answer to this accusation. I know atheists who are more Christian than the people in church. And the answer to that is, no, you don't. (laughs) No, you don't. Now, you may know atheists who excel in moral virtue. You may know atheists who do so much good work. You may know atheists who are so kind. But Christianity is not reducible to these things. Christianity does not simply mean being good or being nice or doing good work. Can I tell you something? Jesus does not want your good work. He doesn't want it. Father, how could you? Do you know why? Because all too often, good work is offered in place of the thing that he really wants. Too often, good work is an excuse for yourself. Can you imagine running to Jesus and saying, Jesus, look at all of the good things that I did. I am so good, and I did it, and here you go. Bye. And he says, I don't care. (laughs) That's not what I want. Don't leave. I want you. I want you yourself. When you look at it this way, it shows us that Christianity, more than just being a moral system that may be concerned with immorality or proper treatment of peoples, actually, Christianity is a relationship and an exchange of persons. This is modeled in the gospel today. Jesus first sent the 12 out, right? He sent out the 12 and said, go do all these things. And they came back and they were jazzed. They were so excited that they were able to accomplish these good works. But Jesus didn't say, oh, good, finally, the thing that I wanted. You can go now. No. He said, good, now you come away with me. You've done the good things. Now be with me in this deserted place. It's good for you, and it's good for me, because that is what this religion is about, a relationship and exchange of persons. So think relationship with me for a minute this morning. Think about relationship. Think about the last person that you fell head over heels in love with. Think about the last person that stole your heart. Some of you looked at the person beside you in the pew. Good. That's good. Think about that person and what motivated your heart. You didn't fall in love with that person because you looked at them and said, ah, you follow the rules and I follow the rules. This will work. No, and you didn't start some sort of romance with that person by trying to keep a checklist of, okay, I need to do this and this and this and this, and maybe if I do all of these things, then I will fall in love, and then she will fall in love, and then we will be in love. That's science, right? 
No, there's an unspoken dimension to relationship that changes hearts in a different way. First, you were enamored with the person. First, you saw him, saw her, and went, oh! And then all of a sudden, that person started affecting the way that you lived your life. You started changing your schedule based around them. You started changing some of your preferences based around them. You didn't used to watch football, but now you do. You know, people come up to you and say, well, what are you going to do with, what are you going to have for dinner tonight? And you'd say, I don't know, whatever she wants. What are you going to do on Saturday? I'm not sure, but we're going to do it together. Because the entrance of that person into your life affects you practically. It starts changing the way that you live. It starts changing the things that you prioritize. And so when we think about Christianity as an exchange of persons, as a relationship, it happens the same way. If it happens in romance, it happens in religion. We might say, yes, we're concerned with immorality. Why? Well, because when I act in an immoral way, it hurts my beloved, and I don't ever want to do that, so I'm not going to. We may be concerned about marginalized peoples. Why? Well, because my beloved cares about them deeply, and so now I care about them deeply. Good. This is Christianity in a nutshell. Sometimes when we go astray, we, we lose that element of relationship that is so important and is priority in Christianity. So let me encourage you, invest in that relationship today, just as in the gospel. The apostles go out and do all this good work, fine. But then they do the more important thing. They come back and Jesus says, you come away with me now to a deserted place. How is it that you grow in love with a person? You spend time with them. How is it that you grow in love with God? You spend time with him. Spend time in prayer. Oh, Father, I, I don't know. What am I supposed to say? That's okay. You don't have to say anything. As a matter of fact, in religion, just as in relationship, isn't it sometimes the quiet moments that you spend together where you don't need to say anything that are the most important, that unite heart to heart? Today, brothers and sisters, spend time with our Lord. Invest and learn Christianity by investing and learning his heart. And if you do, if you go away with him to that deserted place, then your world will be colored through Jesus Christ. You will see things through the eyes of your beloved. And just as he did to the disciples, he will do to you. He will teach you many things, not just a thing over here, not just a thing over there. He will change the way you look at your life because all things will revolve around this heart on fire for him.
Brothers and sisters, Christianity is not, first and foremost, a moral system. It's a relationship. Do not forget the person of your beloved. Do not forget the heart of Jesus. And he will bring you to himself and teach you many things. Amen.